All right, so let's, let's do a quick repack of where we've been in, in Ephesians 1 thus far and um, studying chapter 1 and, and this whole section right here of, of verses 1 through 14 is a, is a praise, is a worship, is a doxology toward God. All this language is going toward God in, in worship and in, and in praise. And what we've said in the beginning, that the purpose is behind and, and what we praise and what we worship is what we will find our identity in. It's what we will try to find satisfaction in. And what Paul is revealing to us, as the Holy Spirit is, is revealing to us the, the necessity of worshiping God as He has revealed Himself and therefore finding our identity in Him. And in these massive truths that are being shown to us in Ephesians chapter one, it is to move our hearts into worshiping God through Jesus Christ and finding our identity in Him. And the knowledge of such praise, the knowledge of such praise is such a power and it's so great that it has the effect of changing our lives completely for His glory. And so we walk through verses like verse 3 that showed us that we praise God because of the great spiritual blessings that He has now bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. We, we stressed here how, how God has not held back at all in meeting our greatest need for salvation, for atonement, for justification. He is not giving us just stuff, but He has given us reconciliation with Himself. We sang it this morning to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. And to realize such a thing is to reorient our hearts and find identity in Him. Verse 4 showed us a, 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 a truth that was very difficult to understand and even comprehend because it shows us that, that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world and that He promised that He would make us holy and blameless. Now, I want to I I curtail verses 5 and 6 with that because it will help make sense a little bit more because 5 and 6 go on to show us that God's love for us in His election and choosing us did not start when we started loving Him. That God's love for us, this particular, unconditional, individual love before the foundation of the world, as verse 4 says, was before we were created before you even could respond to faith to His gracious call. He loved us. And do we realize that knowing that there was never a time, listen to this, that there was never a time in history that God has not loved you. There's never been a span of time in all of history in which God has not loved you. What kind of impact does this awesome knowledge do in our hearts and to of, of believers? What, what it can do in our hearts now and this morning and what has it done already in my heart as I've been explaining over the last couple of weeks as well, what it's done for me, it sets our joy and satisfaction on Him. I.e. setting our identity in Him. And that's just, that's just election. It goes further in, in 5 and 6 talking about adoption. It's like, it's like as if Paul would just keep pouring it on. He keeps pouring on the goodness and the, and the grace and saying that he has adopted us into his family. He has given us a new name. He has welcomed us to his table. He has loved us as his, in his children. And he's bestowed upon us an inheritance and a name 
as such as joint heirs with Christ. And then last week, in verses 7 and 8, we, we, we covered the, the necessity of our salvation, the need that we had for our salvation, and then the means by which God has accomplished our salvation, and that was through the redemption of His blood, the redemption through His blood. The blood of His Son poured out on the, on the cross. And it was in that redemption now that we have accomplished for us the forgiveness of our trespasses in the past, the present, and all of the future. And all of this, our election, our holiness, our adoption, our redemption, our forgiveness, is all by His undeserved, lavished, rich grace. And all of this, all, all, all of this is not only pointing to us what, what God has done, but it's being pointed to us to, to inform and to inspire our, our joy to be found in Him, i.e. moving us in worship for Him. And when we find joy in Him, we worship Him, worship always changes us. Always changes us. And once again, this is precisely why these things are being written for us this morning and, and every time we've gathered so far. And there's so many Christians, right? There's so many, so many Christians. There's, there's some probably even in this room this morning that don't even understand the experience here. Like, they don't experience or, or they understand the fullness of the blessings that God has given us and the fullness of the blessings and the joy that God has given us so richly in Christ. All of these things. And that this deep joy is not just for things for, for me to delight in because I'm a pastor, because I'm called to these things, or for the elders to delight in, but it's for all believers. So I came up a goofy, with a goofy illustration to help, help us understand this. Let's just say someone gave you some, some tickets to the Braves game. And forget how you like the Braves or not right now. We don't care about all that. Blah, blah, blah. You got to go. You don't get to go to a Braves game. You can't afford the tickets. You can't afford the drive. can't get up there, right? Understand that, yeah. But someone gives you tickets, and, and it's an opportunity to go, and, and, and you go, to, you go to, the, to the Braves game, and, and you, you pull out some budget, you know, and you go, and you make it up there, and you get paid all the money for parking and all that stuff. Um, and it turns out when you get in the stadium, uh, you start heading to your seats. Uh, the person gave you tickets are, are field-level seats right behind home plate. Um, and if you've ever had tickets like that, they're, that it's just a great seat. It's best, best in the house, as you would sit down and say. These are the best seats in the house. And there you are, you and your family, not realizing it, but you sat, the person gave you the best seats in, in, uh, in the whole entire stadium. Out of the 15 people that show up to the game, you have the best seat in the house. And, and as you're sitting there, of course, you enjoy the, the ball game and and, of course, when you're at a baseball game, you're sitting there for a couple hours, you get hungry, right? And you smell the hot dogs, and you smell the, the, um, the popcorn, and you see all the stuff that people are, are enjoying. And, and you notice next to you the, the people that are sitting around you in the same field-level seats that, that um, there's an attendant that even comes down and, and waits on these people. And, and, and you're like, well, I want to get something, but I, I can't afford that. Right? I can't afford a person coming up to me and actually you know, serving me at a baseball game. These people who are sitting there can because they probably bought the seats. But we're going to sit here and, and we're going to enjoy the ball game. And finally, you know, the kids are complaining long enough. They're hungry. So you scrape up a couple more bucks out of your pocket. You go up. You can buy a couple hot dogs. You buy one Coke to share because that's how you roll in this family. 
and, and you go back to your seat, you enjoy, and of course that's not enough, it's not enough food, people are still kind of hungry, and, and you get to about the, the eighth inning of, of the ball game, really enjoying yourself, everybody's having a good time, but you're hungry, and, the, and throughout the game, the same attendant that's waiting on them comes to you and asks you, hey, could I get you something, and you say, no, I'm good, and really it's because you can't afford it, and eventually by that eighth inning, that attendant comes back to you and says, uh, sir, can I, can I get you anything, are you sure there's nothing that I, that I can get you today, and and, and you're, once again, you just say, no, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and then the attendant finally says, sir, I don't, really, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the ticket that you have actually covers anything that you want. It even covers my tip, right, my gratuity for taking care of you. And, of course, you sit there like a moron. You're just like, oh, man, I even went and spent money on hot dogs and a Coke. And, 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 of course, you load up on that eighth inning, right? You get as much as you can. You take home seven pretzels and a couple hot dogs and, and, and stuff like that. But here's the real point of that, that goofy illustration is so many Christians are, are walking through this life just like that, that they have been given this, I hate to use ticket, but they've been given this ticket They've been given this new life, this new regeneration in Christ, and yet they've missed the, the fullness of the spiritual blessings that we have been shown to us in Christ. And, and that's the purpose, is to inform us, to open us up to see the, the worship and the joy that is found in, in Jesus Christ, but also long are we satisfied with pulling out our own money and going and buying a sorry hot dog. And call that life when Christ has given us so much more. These blessings that he has given to us are so rich. He's lavished them upon us this morning. And so these are the blessings that, that change us. It, it changes us the way that we, we pray. It changes us the way that we, we look at Scripture. It, it changes the way that we interact with, at church. It changes us the way in which we give. It changes us in, in the way that we, we love this world around us. It changes everything every perspective of this life. Now let's read verses 9 and 10 together, our passages this morning. Ephesians 1, verse 9. Once again, which you lavished, verse 8, which you lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now that as we unpack your word this morning, as we look to these things, I ask that your spirit would lead us and would guide us. It would, it would show us these, these greater joys, these greater blessings of of, of the richness and the wealth that you have lavished upon us by your grace. Uh, we, would, we would glory in our Redeemer for the great work he has done even now in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would accomplish these things according to your plan and your purposes for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So these are the, these are the, the truths that fill our heart, that change us, that, that reorient us, and in these verses they, they do the same thing. So there's, there's three things that I want us to see this morning as we, we look at this passage together. The first half of verse 9 is going to show us an emphasis, an emphasis on what God has revealed to us as a Christian. 
We want to see the emphasis that is of what is being revealed to us by God as being a Christian. The second thing I want us to talk about is in the second half of verse 9, in the beginning of verse 10, we will see another emphasis that is on the fact that God's purposes in salvation have happened at just the right time, in just the right place, and in just the right way. That's the second thing. And the third thing I want us to see this, this morning in verse 10, the end of the second half of verse 10, is the emphasis on the fullness of those purposes and blessings for us. That all things will be brought under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and will be united and reordered under His headship. So let's look at this first point. <clears throat> let's look at these, this first point. By God's good and gracious purposes, He has revealed to us the mystery of His will. By God's good and gracious purposes, He has revealed to us the mystery of His will. The mystery of His will. What, what is that? Well, in, in my study, there was uh, a good six or seven different types of meanings of, of the mystery of His will throughout the writings of the, of, the, of the New Testament. I believe it was mystery, the word mystery is in the New Testament 27 different times, and 21 of those times have come from, from the Apostle Paul. But even though there's seven different uses of that word, they all boil down necessarily to the exact same one. And one of the facets of the mystery of God's will that is being brought to us this morning out of, out of verse 9 is, that, is what we've talked about earlier, and that is that God's plan of redemption has now been made known to us. That God's plan and God's intention and God's plan is of, worse, of, of redemption has now been made known to us. The things that were once hidden for thousands and thousands of years have now been made known, have now been revealed. And He has revealed to us these things because of His grace and because of His kindness and because of His mercy. That God has revealed His plan of redemption to us now. That it is no longer a mystery. Now, let's start a basis of this, a foundation. All men, hear me on this, all men, no matter what they say, all men know that there is a God. All men know that, that there is a God. And all men know that there is a God to be worshipped. We all know that God has established what is right and what is wrong, and that He will judge according to the right and to the wrong. All men know these things. In Romans chapter 1, there's all these things. Now, now depending how man has... <clears throat> taken that and applied that and, 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 and suppressed that, it's different. But these are the truths that are evident to all men. All men. Romans 1 makes it very clear. But also in the same chapter of, of Romans, it shows us that, that this type of knowledge of what is known by all men is not the knowledge of God's plan for redemption. It is not the plan of God's redemption. That knowledge... That knowledge is what has been revealed to us. God's plan, the mystery of His will, is a knowledge that has been revealed to us only by God's grace. Only by God's grace, particularly when the gospel is preached to us. 
Now I want to go a little bit further. Now apart from the grace of God, announcing the truth of Christ to our hearts, making it known, revealing it to us, we would never been able to comprehend we would never been able to comprehend the plan of God's redemption. It would fall on deaf ears. It would only fall on deaf ears. Then it would still be a mystery to us. And when this mystery is revealed, that's why it's such a blessing. Because God has revealed His plan of redemption. The plan of redemption in Christ. This is another one of those, those life-changing truths that, that we should never take advantage of or, or not take for, for granted. Let me, let me boil that down a little bit for us to help us understand. For, for some of us, the, the experience of how God drew us to himself was, was at a young age. Meaning we, we, might have got, uh, we might have been drawn by the Lord maybe in Sunday school and, and got saved is, is our vernacular that we use. Or, or maybe it was through a, a grandmother sharing the gospel with us. Maybe it was from, from a parent and we were at a, a, a young age when, when God graciously revealed to us exactly where you were as a child and His greater purposes of redemption revealed the gospel of his son. Yeah, of course you were a kid. You can't, you can't put it in those ways, but that's what God was doing. Revealing the gospel of his son and drawing you to repentance and faith. Wooing you to believe and have faith in the Lord. And the compelling of what we see in this text this morning and this first half or this first passage here and this first point is something that we should not take for granted. And we should never take for granted in knowing that the truth of God's revealing of work of grace in which He has done in us. Knowing and believing the gospel is what God has done for you, and it is a gift of grace. I also thought about uh, uh, this. I think, it was, I think I've heard it from you, Brother Richard, that, that, that you got saved at an older age, and the Lord called you and drew you to, to himself and the same thing. I think when you're a little bit older, you can, you can cherish maybe this a little bit more. right? You can, you can cherish the revealing of God's gift of grace in your life and saving you and drawing, him, or drawing you to himself. But some of us who, who got saved at a younger age, we, we don't want to take for granted. Even then, we don't want to take for granted because it's all by grace that God has revealed himself. Last week, I was, I was um, corrected in, in quoting Bill, and really I was quoting Paul, uh, uh, from 1 Corinthians 2.14, says this, it says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. Listen to that. The natural man does not accept the things of God. They're, they're folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That they're spiritually discerned. You see, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that, that reveals by His grace, by God's grace, these glorious truths to us. It's by God's grace that His, by, through His Spirit, He is revealing these truths to us, this redeeming plan to our hearts to help us embrace them and give us the faith to believe them. So no matter, no matter what our experience and how God has drew us unto salvation, this is why we are not to take it for granted, because it is God's work through His Spirit and by His grace. 
If you have ever shared the gospel with two people at one time, maybe it was a, a confrontational, you never met them, and you just shared the gospel with two people at one time, two individuals. Is it, is it just mind-blowing to think that maybe one of those individuals, if they did, hypothetically, one individual believed and the other one just said, this is garbage, this is hogwash, folly, right? Does it, does it make you wonder? Does it make you wonder in a, in a family maybe of, of, of multiple siblings that, that grow up in the church why some embrace the glory of the goodness of the gospel and some just utterly reject and call it folly? Why is that? Why is that? Now, absolutely, we, we give the responsibility to man's sin, but in that spiritual blindness, it is by the Spirit that regenerates. It's the Spirit that reveals. It is the Spirit of God that makes alive anyone who professes Christ. Anyone. The dependence of the gospel message ultimately comes down how the Holy Spirit works. Right? The same two people, once again, they heard the same gospel, they heard the same message, it's the same person that, that shares the mission, then what's the difference? It's the Spirit. And therefore, we should not take advantage, or even granted, how God has done that in our hearts. Something that changes us, that reorients us, to worship and delight in the Lord. That's number one. Number two, by God's good and gracious purposes, He has brought His plan to pass at just the right time. By God's good and gracious purposes, He has brought His plan to pass at just the right time. Once again, this is verse 9 and 10. There's something I want you to hear this morning in this, this phrase that's important for us to see and for us to understand. And so that when it says that, that he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, it means that God has set his plan of redemption in motion with the coming of Christ into the world for our redemption at precisely the right time. At precisely the right time. Now we've heard the phrase wrong place at the wrong time. I think we've also heard the phrase right place at the right time, right? Uh, we hear it actually in the negative more than in, in the positive because I think that's usually what happens to us is we're usually at the wrong place at the wrong time more than we are at the right place at the right time. Well, the wrong place at the wrong time is exactly the opposite by which we see in this passage here. It is the right place at the right time, at just the right time, and at just the right place, and in just the right way. God, in His good and kind purposes, has brought His saving plan to pass. So there's some questions that might come to our mind, in, in particular, right? In, in, in particular, that might come to our mind in, in questioning this idea. Did it really come at the right time? Or was it that just when God finally got His ducks in a row? Right? And, 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 and here's the thing. Why in the world, why in the world would God wait so long after Adam and Eve? Why in the world would God wait so long after Adam and Eve sinned to bring about salvation through his son? Why? Why so many thousands of years? Why so much death? Why so much hurt? Why so much pain? Why? Why such disobedience? Why such rebellion? Why? 
Why was, why was his son, right? I, I was to say in the right place. Why did God send his son to the Middle East? Why? Why did God send his son there? Why was it God's design to save us from our sins through, through his death, through the death of his son? Why? 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 These are the questions that, that we like to ask. And, and, and I think we can attempt to answer some of these questions, even biblically and historically, we can answer some of those questions. But the truth, the underlying truth that is here, is the answer It's very clear for us to understand, regardless whatever attempt we make to answer them. And that is this, that God did exactly what he did, and it was exactly right, and it was exactly right at the right time and at the right place, with the right people. At the fullness of time, God sent His Son into the world. At the fullness of time. At the fullness of time. There's a reminder here that God's timing and God's plan of redemption is perfect in all its dimensions. It's perfect. It's perfect in in every way. So though God has revealed His mystery to us, as we talked before in point one, revealed to us His mystery to us through the redemptive work of His Son, it is very clear as well that there's still very much that we're very ignorant of, right? Like those questions. We're ignorant of why. Yet even in our ignorance, what we are seeing here in this text, an implication of in this text, is that even in our ignorance, to God's purposes and why he did the things the way he did, we know that they are perfect and therefore that makes us wiser than all the wisdom of the world. Makes us wiser than all the wisdom of the world. Because the worldly man, the worldly man questions God's actions. The worldly man questions God's thoughts. It questions God's plans. But the man of God or the woman of God rests in the knowledge that God's plan of, of redemption has been brought to us at just the right time and at just the right place and in just the right way. 1 Corinthians 1.18 It says, For the cross, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. So when the rest of the world just calls you a fool and folly, and they may just play the Christian game, and you're actually committed to the things of the Lord. Why? Because you are believe that it is the power of God by which you've been saved. To the cross, it's folly. Or to the, to the world, the cross is, is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, we, we, we call this idea of God's timing is perfect and his place and his timing is everything's perfect in that way we, we like to call this in, in the theological world divine sovereignty we call this divine sovereignty and in this divine sovereignty once again God's been working all of these things out from the very beginning for the fullness of time is sending his son into the world to be our redemption through his blood that he's always been working in this direction And just as we believe in God's purposes and our redemption came about at the right time, at the right place, and in the right way, we must also believe in God's sovereignty, also his his divine providence for our very own lives. I'm resurrecting old words, divine providence. We must believe in God's divine providence for our own lives, that all things in our lives have been worked out 
at the right time and at the right place and in the right way according to God's purposes and God's plan. So when the, when the, when the cancer diagnosis comes, when the job loss happens, when there's hard seasons of life, when there's difficulty in the family, when we lose a loved one, when you're publicly shamed for unjust reasons, this is the type of knowledge, the knowledge of God's divine providence is the type of knowledge that reorients our whole lives and our whole thought process around God. Because we believe, rightly so, biblically, according to the scriptures and what we see here, that God is sovereign and always working out his purposes in the world and in you for his glory and for your joy. He's always working those things out. In the good and in the bad, he's always working. He's always been there. He's always moving in the thousands and thousands and thousands of ways that you will never be able to see. God is working. This is the reorienting grace that causes us to trust in the plan of God. That he's not just sovereign over the particulars of salvation, but he is sovereign over all things in this life. And this is one of our greatest comforts, right? This is, this is that, this is the, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going back to my dumb illustration in my mind and it's not letting me just move forward. Uh, but this goes back to letting us enjoy a great meal at the ball game in the first inning, not the eighth inning, right? This is, this is the kind of truth that we can sink our lives into, that you can devour and chew on. And this is the greatest comfort in all the, of all of our life. And I, I'm going off the rails just a minute here. A couple, bunch of reasons why we don't want to trust this and believe this, but I think one of it is because we're so comfortable we're so comfortable in this life. I mean, the air, before the air conditioning kicked on, I think some of us noticed it was getting kind of hot in here. <laughs> right? we're, so, we're so comfortable. We're so prone to be comforted. And so our, our brothers and sisters and forefathers who have gone before us firmly believed in God's divine providence. The loss of life was, was easy. Life was cheap. And yet they trusted in God. They trusted in God. We may not understand God's ways. We may not understand God's plans. We don't want to presume to. We want to trust in God's sovereign plans and His divine providence for our lives. Romans 11. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 11. After a wonderful unpacking in Romans 11, Paul does of the mystery of Israel's salvation as well as the, the Gentiles being brought into the family of God. It's a mystery, is what he says. It's a mystery. Who can understand? Who can fathom? Who can, who can really see it? And this is what he ends with, another doxology, another praise of God. Look at verse 33. You should underline this if you so choose to do so in your Bibles. He says, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of our Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Now why does Paul end up like this? Because God's providence and the mystery of His providence and the mystery of His sovereignty, things that we do not understand, still leads Paul into worship. And brothers and sisters, that is the comfort by which leads us into worship as well this morning is trusting in the sovereignty of God. Number three, third point this morning. By God's good and gracious purposes, He is bringing all things under the Lordship of Christ. By God's good and gracious purposes, He is bringing all things, all things under the Lordship of Christ. Here in the second part of of, of verse 10, we see a further meaning of of what it's meant uh, by the the mystery of His will. So first it was the the timing of of His redemption. Chapter 2, we're going to see the mystery as being shown of the, the bringing the Gentiles into the family of God in the same way as believing Jews are, and that is uh, believing and having faith in the Messiah is what we read or what we talked about was actually being unpacked in, in Romans 11. But now here in, in verse 10, the mystery of His will is the uniting of all things under Christ. Uniting all things in Christ. Uniting all things under the, the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ. So the, redemptive, the emphasis on his redemptive plan now being revealed to us as we saw. Right? Not only is he even showing us his goodness and kindness that he's brought out in sending his son and the redemption plan at the right time, at the right place, and in the right way, but also the fact that God is doing everything in view of Jesus Christ's rule over all things. And that Christ is reordering all things for the sake of His church. And to on that day to make all things new. This is the view that's being shown before us. These are the the grand purposes of God in all of redemptive history is to unite all things under Christ. This is the end game. This is the, the end game. This is, the, this is what, what God is seeking to do. This is what God is doing now. This once was a mystery, but now that Christ has been sent into this world, this mystery has now been openly revealed to those who are in Christ, now to publicly proclaim to everyone who will listen that this is the grand purposes of God. Once again, this is another grace. This is another grace of God that changes us. That, that no matter what, no matter what happens, that God is bringing the whole universe under the rule of Jesus Christ. He's bringing all things under the rule of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Romans now, and let's look at Romans 8. Back to Romans, and look at Romans 8. The cross the pinnacle, the climax of all of history. Romans 8, the pinnacle, climax of all the Bible. I believe all the Bible's pointing up to Romans 8. And this is one of the reasons, starting in verse 31. Listen to this. 
What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's why this is the, 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 the climax, the pinnacle of the Bible here. Why in the world can Paul say such things? Why in the world can Paul, Paul make such well, I mean, such loud, I mean, massive claims about us that nothing can destroy us, nor sword, nor danger, nor, nor nakedness, nor persecution, nor famine, no, nothing can, de- can destroy us when we know it actually does. Why? Why can he say these things? Because the mystery of God is now being revealed to those who are in Christ Jesus that all things will be united under the headship of Christ. In Paul writing, writing uh, uh, Ephesians, writing the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Paul was under, under house arrest in, in Rome when he was writing these things with little freedom in this world, yet he was completely free as a servant to the master who had every power in the universe and that everything would be in subjection to his master, to the very guard that was watching. To the one he was chained to would be subject to Christ. To the commander of that guard would one day bow before the Lord and be subject to Christ. To the very emperor himself, to the very emperor himself would all, would all be in subject to Christ because God is working all things to unite everything and to put everything under his Son. Now the question is, to us, can we see the comfort behind that? Can we see now the the third inning, right? The third inning of now having some more to eat and to enjoy? The fullness of these blessings. Why Paul is in this doxology of praise here here in Ephesians 1 for us? That nothing in this world that comes against you, no enemies, no governments, no wickedness, no sickness, no pain, nor even death itself, will all be in subjection to Jesus Christ. Will all be in subjection to Jesus Christ. This is profoundly comforting for us. And there's nothing in this world, sin, temptation, evil, wickedness, nothing that can come against you that will not at last be brought into submission under the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so therefore it leaves us with, leaves us all here this morning with one choice, a choice to make here. 
Will we embrace the, the truths of God's grace and live and be comforted by them? Or will they be the very things that separate us from Him? And will they one day have to submit regardless? Apart. Apart from that comfort now and apart from that grace and apart from that blessing. That is the question at hand for us in trusting. Now, we're, we're moving in, in our Christian calendar into, into the Passion Week. And today is what we would call Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday recorded in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. You can read those later and see the parallels there of, of those passages. And there's a connection here with Palm Sunday that I want us to see in each one of these points. Now, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. You all know the story. It was leading up to his, his death on the cross and then eventually his resurrection, which we will celebrate this, uh, this next coming week. And, and even though prophecy was, was being fulfilled in the triumphal entry of, of Jesus into, into Jerusalem, there was, there was still such spiritual blindness of the people. There was still such spiritual blindness of, of the people because they were, they were bringing in Jesus to be a conqueror, a conquering king to restore Israel to its previous glory. And that is certainly not the case with the plan of God. The mysteries of God were not revealed. The mysteries of God were not revealed. They were hidden. They were unseen. Even at that point, even with the Messiah staring them in the face, it was unseen. Luke 19 which actually takes place right after the triumphal entry of Jesus. Luke 19, verse 40 and 41 says this. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He's Jerusalem. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are what? Hidden from your eye. Why? Because... Even in the fullness of time, the plan of God was still being worked out. And it hasn't been revealed. John 12 even shows us even more of the blindness of even the disciples. His disciples didn't even understand. It says this, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, I love, I love how John kind of does that, by the way. John just kind of, he fills us in. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and have been done to him. The mystery was hidden. But now, in the fullness of time, the mystery has been revealed. And at this, this time of the, the triumphal entry, even in that specific moment, was right at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. Right? The fulfilling of prophecy we talk about. Everything was, was all according to God's purpose and plan for his son. You remember several times throughout Jesus' life where he was hidden from the people. That the truth of who he was was, was hidden from the people. They couldn't understand who he was. Why? Because this mystery was, was hidden. And then just at the right time, this was Jesus leading up to the cross. And the reason why he was going to Jerusalem was pointing to his son to die on the cross. 
And this was setting us for us the stage of what we are going to celebrate this week. What we talked about earlier, the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of, his, of, of our sins. That this was all according to God's predetermined plan for His Son. Jesus knowing this. Submitting and being obedient to the will of His Father. And the third thing is, is the triumphal entry over or foreshadows the, the, the concluding work or the consummating work of the gospel. And that, that shows us that, he's, that it's, it's showing us a picture, a foreshadow of what we talked about in that third point, the uniting of all things. Because the way that Jesus entered, entered Jerusalem, though riding on a donkey as a peaceful king, will one day be ushered back into his creation as a conquering king. And at that point, all things will be united under Him. The consummation of all things, all everything will be united under Him, under His headship. All things in heaven and on earth. Everything. And so as we celebrate, even today in our Palm Sunday, we, we, we see this text. We see how God is, has been always working. Always working, once again, for our joy, for our desires and for our affections to find all of our delight and satisfaction in Him. The mysteries of His redeeming plan that have now been revealed at the right place, at the right time, in the right way. How He sent His Son. How He sent His Son and eventually as he, we can believe, we can trust that as He sends His Son again, that all things will be united in Him for our comfort and for our joy. Let's pray. Lord, we, we give you the glory and the praise for such work that you have done. We know that it has been done by your grace and your mercy. And you've accomplished these things in revealing to us the mystery of your will, things we, we do not want to take for granted, something we, we don't want to just put to the side. Lord, we believe and want to trust in your providence and your sovereignty even this morning, the trust in you, the delight in you, that you do all things according to the, the purpose of your will at the right time, the right places, and in the right way. And you've shown us that magnificently through the sending of your Son. And I pray as well in the third thing that we would trust in you, God. That you're uniting all things underneath the headship of your Son. And I pray that this morning that you would cause us to delight in these things, to be comforted by them. For the one this morning, Lord, where the cross still may be folly, I pray that you would do a work to redeem. By your Spirit, you would give them the eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the cross. And the faith to believe. Lord, we give you the glory. Lead us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.